You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thank you once again to the Mudbugs for playing us in. This is the Sneaky Good Podcast. I am Poser, and with me, as always, is my producer, Chris. Hello. Say hi, Chris. Oh, hi, Chris. Yeah, see. I'm sorry. I missed my hello, Gracie uh, <laughs> moment. Oh, that was my bad. It's already start getting on to a sneaky good start. <laughs> I am joined by a Spider-Man figurine who will remain silent through this podcast, but also... <laughs> Our quarterbacks F- expert Seth. Bonjour. See, like, I like when you bring the French. You know, uh, bring the French. I thought about I thought about going Italian today. <laughs> I don't speak wow. Italian, but I thought about going Buongiorno. But okay. it, didn't, it didn't sound right. All right. What's so funny yeah. is that you know Seth's accent, not at all, sounds French. Yeah, but it, it, you I, know, it, it has something in there. It's because you know, it doesn't sound New Yorker. But there's something. Well, it's because I'm not from New York. No, but no, I mean, I'm saying like there's. I'm trying to place it. Like there's. It's not. You know, it's clearly not Southern Louisiana either. Um, I'm just saying, like it, it has like a Northeast vibe to it, but I'm. I can't place it. Like it's. Do you want me to place it for you? Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you. I can. Give, I can ping you my location. <laughs> well, I mean, I know you're in Montreal, but like, uh, you know, what it sounds. It, it's. It rings a bell, and I'm trying. I can't. I, I can't place what bell it's ringing. You know what it sounds mm, like. Yeah, I know you live in Montreal, you jackass. Um, <laughs> hey, hey. And, and yeah, and slightly less jackassy <laughs> is Jake. <laughs> Only slightly. <laughs> That's right, slightly. Only slightly. How's it going, Jake? I am good. And we are back to a, a full pod this week. As we are coming off, and also congratulations to LSU to finally becoming the number one ranked offense in the country by yards per play. We did it, folks. We're, we're the nice. we're the best. <laughs> they end the season right now. LSU ranked number one in offense. There you go. But they also came off a forty-two to six thrashing of Utah State. And I'll start with Jake. Did you see that coming? Um. Yeah. The margin of score was not surprising. The or way how they was, did it. How they did it, yes, though, in the now that you kind of look back on it, it made sense. They basically decided that they were going to get through this game as quickly as possible. They were trying to avoid injuries. It was oppressively hot, so they weren't going to try and keep the defense out there for often. So they ran the ball a lot more. They didn't really go hurry up all that often. They did at times. They gave the freshman running back some more burn, which made sense since they're now down to running back um, and have 
four scholarship running backs, but mostly three that are used. So the way they did it was surprising since this isn't really how we've seen LSU play uh, so far this year. This, And I, I don't really think this is their thing. I, I don't think this is something we're going to see against Florida this week or in the future, but for this game, it made sense. And so, you know, it, it was fine, and the, the defense looked fantastic. Anytime you can hold a team to a .9 yards per rush, that's a pretty good day at the office. Yeah, I call that a win. And the defense seems to be getting healthy finally, right at about the right time. So that's everybody. I think, I think the three main guys practiced today: Divinity, Lawrence, and uh, Logan. Chase on played against Utah State and had some. I think he only had one tackle, but he had a few nice rushes. He had one play where he dumped the Utah State left tackle on his behind, which was pretty cool. Yeah, he was um, active. Like he didn't show yeah, up in the in, in the scorebook, but he was definitely made his presence felt. And Seth, uh, we didn't, since we didn't talk to you before the game, do you have any thoughts now that you saw a full game of him of Jordan Love? Is he a first? Well, you know, I watched him. I watched him against Colorado State the week before, and he was pretty bad. Yeah, like that's and, what I was thinking. And, okay, good. <laughs> and I think he's one of those guys who flashes because he makes a lot of plays outside of the pocket. But I'm not sure, and which is great. Like you kind of have to have that in part of your tool belt. But the if you're going to play in the NFL, you kind of have to be able to make throws from the pocket. And that's where he was pretty bad against Colorado state and kind of, you know, he's playing against LSU now. So you kind of expected him to not be great in the pocket against LSU. He made that one throw outside the pocket. I made a couple from in the pocket, but really LSU shut everything down. So uh, is Jordan love an NFL prospect? Yeah. Is he a first round quarterback? Not even close in my opinion. Okay, good, because you weren't here last week, and I was definitely saying I don't see it, and I know I'm not an expert, but I watched the Colorado State game as well, and I came away fairly unimpressed. I have to say, I was even though his numbers were worse, I was a little bit more impressed with his performance against LSU. He had a couple of passes that his receivers just flat dropped. Yeah, there's a touchdown pass that he drops on like a post, if I, if I recall. Yeah, that, I mean, that was a really touchdown. A touchdown. Yeah. And it was weird because then – like earlier on that drive, a receiver made a great catch on that uh, the fly pattern, which you know set up that whole thing was like the forty yard pass downfield. So you know his uh, receivers make these great catches, and then on the easy things, which you think are just sure touchdowns, there was just no excuse for that drop. But there was more than that. There was his receivers just aren't terribly good. No, they're not. I mean, they have the, the one guy who also returns kicks, so he's an athlete, but they just could get free. I mean, at the end of the day, like, there was just at, there was no one open, and which was nice to see because, you know, we, we talked about it for the past few weeks. How, hey, you know, maybe LSU's DB squad is not as good as we kind of made them out to be at the beginning of the year, and they made those changes. All of a sudden, Fulton was playing a little more inside, though actually played, he still ended up playing a lot outside. But, right. you know, they, they were at least proactive in trying to make some change happen, uh, which is interesting. And uh, right now, with a Cordell Flot out for the Florida game, you know, you're going to end up being in back to kind of what it was at the beginning of the year with Fulton outside, Kyrie Vincent back in, at nickel in the slot. So they changed it for one game, and it's going to have to go back to what it or, was. Uh, you know, maybe they put Kerry 
Kerry uh, Vincent back on the outside. Kerry Vincent definitely had a good game last week. Uh, I think he mm-hmm. answered a lot of doubters. I, I know it's Utah State, but Utah State has a pretty good offense, and they flat shut him down. Yeah, I, I still, I, th- I still believe in Kerry Vincent. That's why I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, I understand why they, to a certain degree, I understand why they moved Fulton inside, but I, and and like they know more than me, but Kerry Vincent's a hell of a football player. Yeah, I agree. So, I, you know, keeping him there at nickel is fine. And I and I will say that I think this is a type of game where, because of what Florida does, putting, you know, Fulton's a bigger body than we've had there in the past at kind of weak side corner. Like last year was Greedy Williams. So I think what Florida does with their trips and their nub and their tight ends, like I think it, it makes more sense to keep Fulton there on the backside and kind of let him play a little, get his nose dirty, and you know they'll run at him like they tried to do Greedy Williams. Like a few teams tried to run at Greedy Williams last year and it didn't go so well for Greedy Williams, and we knew that. Yeah, yeah. If they do that with Christian Fulton, I think the results are different, and I think that's what Florida will at least try to do it early in the game. And Joe Burrow kind of had a quiet 344 yard game. If that's possible. Right. I thought that was kind of ridiculous that we're talking about Joe Burrow having a bad game when he was responsible for all six touchdowns and <laughs> threw from us 350 yards. And, and was benched in the fourth quarter. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he, if they had wanted, they clearly put the offense up on blocks uh, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So had they needed to, they could have cracked 400. Plus, like Jake said, I mean, this was a, a run first approach to get off the field as quick as possible. So, if, you know, if you give him a, a, a game plan like in the other games, he probably throws for 420 just because they're throwing the ball five more times or whatever. And he ran for 51 yards. So I don't know if that's... Wow, well, you're right. Taking, taking sacks out of the... That is um, taking post. sacks out. He, he lost uh, nine yards on sacks, so he had 42 total. Okay, so yeah, 51 rush, which is 5.1 yards for down. That's a really good day. Um, he had a few really nice runs scrambling out of the pocket and escaping, which is, I think, what everyone kind of wants to see him do. Um, certainly, he can run the ball on the read options, which is a wrinkle you like to have, but you don't want to see him taking kind of the hits that those runs kind of inherently present. And so, and he is really effective kind of when he, you know, scrambles and gets outside and can pick up yards. So, yeah, I mean, in total, he had 390-something total yards of offense, which he's done, which didn't put him at 400, but he's hit, you know, he's at 390 or more yards of offense total in, like, four straight games. Oh, the Vandy game, he lost 20 yards rushing, even though he passed for 398. So, <sighs> anyhow, Phil, I mean, like, what a, putting up 350-plus every week, you know. So. What a loser. Not cracking 400. <laughs> I mean, geez, what is wrong with him? Yeah. Uh, Justin Jefferson had a had a big game after uh, you know there was a little bit of a scare with an injury two weeks ago. Comes right back, answers every question about that. Catches nine balls for 155 yards. Was probably LSU's best player. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, I I, I find it hard to yeah he he was our best skill position player. I find it hard to say in the past you know, five games that anyone else than Joe Burrow is uh, the LSU's best player, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, no. I, honestly, I, I think this was the I, one game where Jefferson kind of showed out more than Burrow. Like, if there's one game you could say that Burrow wasn't our best offensive player, this was the game. I, I, Jefferson was everywhere, it seemed. 
they're both fantastic, as is everyone on that offense. But with each passing week, it gets hard to say that the best player on this team is at number 24. Oh, man. Oh, oh, all right. yeah. Don't get me started on 24, man. Well, no, let's get you started. I mean, <laughs> so he, I'm, I'm watching, they showed like a, uh, the replay of the interception. And I'm actually watching it right now. And he put like, it's, he's such a technique for his age to be such a technician. Now, obviously maybe he against a different receiver that he, that he, he fears more. Maybe he doesn't do this like this, but the guy's running a goal route. So you're going to get beat right off the right away off the goal route because you know, you're playing press or whatever. Like the guy will beat you off the line of scrimmage. That's almost a guarantee, but it's what you do after that. So he's beating him down the field and the discipline and the technique, you're not allowed to as a as a man coverage defender to turn your head back to the quarterback until you get to what's called in phase. So once you're in phase is when you're kind of like kind of holding on to the hip of the of the receiver. You see that a lot. Then you're allowed okay. to turn back to the ball. Then it's then it becomes your ball. And you see him, he's running with the guy, he's not touching him yet. So his eyes are laser focused on the receiver's hips. But the second he can get in grabbing distance and he puts his hand on his hip, that's when the eyes go snap right back to the football. And then it's and then he just, you know, he's a playmaker. Then he gets his hands on the ball. But it, this guy's 18. Yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, it's it is we've had a lot of very good cornerbacks at this school and Stingley I mean, he's on pace to be the best ever. None of them have been as good as he is right now. Like, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be better than all of them by the en- by the end because progression isn't necessarily always linear. I mean, even though I expect that he will be, but I don't. None of them, I think, have been as good as he is right now. Like five games into his career. Because yeah, I remember when Patrick Peterson showed up on campus and he was awesome right away, and everyone was blown away. But there was always kind of the caveat: well, he's awesome for a freshman. Stingley is just awesome. Yeah, he might be the best cornerback in the country right now. <laughs> like right now, Cody Worsham posts the numbers like every week, and they're just they're preposterous. They don't complete passes on him. No. LSU brought back a cornerback who is a potential first round draft pick, and we're almost treating him like he's chopped liver. Yeah. It is that is how good Stingley is that he he is making people not appreciate how good Christian Fulton is. Yeah, the stat update on Stingley: quarterbacks ten of twenty-seven, thirty-seven percent, one hundred fifty-two yards. This is when they're targeting him: one touchdown, two interceptions, nine pass breakups, and a thirty-eight NFL passer rating. Ouch! He's first in the SEC in pass breakups, second in the country, first in NFL passer rating against in the SEC, ninth in the country. Second in completion percentage against in the SEC, ninth in the country. Pro football focus um, for what you take that grades him first in the entire country, and he's tied first in the SEC in interceptions. He's the best cornerback in the SEC right now, and possibly the best one in the entire country. And he's played five college games. Even looking at it nationally, I just pulled it up. There are only eight players in the country that have ten passes defended. Stingley is one of them. He has 10. Uh, there's only three guys in the country ahead of him. Uh, Samuel Womack has 12. 
Lamar Jackson of Nebraska has 11, and Elijah Molden of Washington has 11. After that, Derek Stingley, and he is, he's the only underclassman on the list, much less the only freshman. Uh, he's – God, he's so good right away. Yeah, and it's also – you would think more people would be testing him. But I, five games in, they're only like, no, he's, he's the number one guy. We're going to test Fulton. Yeah, I mean, it's like Texas tried it with Colin Johnson, and it didn't work. And I was like, all right, well, if that dude who's a freaking physical freak and going to be a top two or three on draft pick probably, if that guy couldn't do anything on him in his first real college game on the road, yeah, we might as well just not try it. Yeah, I mean, he, And they do, like, sometimes. But the problem is, like, they try it twice a game and he intercepts it once. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay, well, that didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, he's a nice guy to have. And can you imagine what he'll do when there's a pass rush? <laughs> I mean, because basically the entire pass rush has been sitting on the bench all season. Yeah, basically. And they should be back for Florida. It was a team that actually has a pretty darn good pass rush themselves. So is there anything – well, let's just close the book on Utah State. We beat them by a lot of points. Their offense couldn't do anything. Do you think the defense – is going to carry over that effort from Utah State holding a team under 200 yards to the Florida game. Because you can make an argument that Utah State is a better offense than Florida does. Yeah, I think, I think they can. The things that have been plaguing them, that have been plaguing this defense really, were missed tackles. They didn't. They missed like four tackles the entire game. It was being in the wrong lanes. They were in the wrong gaps, which they took care of that. The, their pursuit, you know, and get in the backfield, even if they weren't on on running downs, was particularly great. I mean, they really did a great job stretching runs out, and we finally saw Grant Delpit kind of get up, you know, near the line of scrimmage and make some plays like we're used to. Patrick Queen had an awesome game. Jacob Phillips had a real game, so the linebackers were getting downhill. Basically, and kind of the things that they also in the passing game, some things they struggled with were, you know just kind of giving up easy kind of short completions, you know, like they would kind of get beaten underneath for like six, seven yards and then miss a tackle and it turned into a first-round game. It was – or first-round game, rather. Um, and I feel like they were just kind of playing off guys um, a little too easily. I mean, Utah State basically only had like really – I mean, their past completions really only came like two or three big ones, which were just great completions by love. And so, yeah, I, I don't see why they can't keep this up. It looked like they fixed – kind of all the things that they've been struggling with and now they're finally getting healthy. I mean, they've basically been playing down three or four starters for three weeks now. Yeah, so pretty much the entire, get, ever since Texas. Yeah. Get get those guys back and you can kind of, you know, run the, run the defense that you want to run. And so, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, Florida's going to present some issues. They've got some talented guys. Mullen is a great play caller and a great schemer, and he's had Dave Aranda's number a bit, certainly when he was at Mississippi State. And, I mean, last year I, I hesitate because, I mean, it wasn't like LSU's defense actually played bad last year. It was just some couple maddening kind of drives or plays. Yeah, they had two really bad drives. Yeah, that was basically it. So, like, there will be some things I think the Florida presents, especially because, again, we can kind of talk about, like, kind of playing off of, receivers and letting short completions kind of bite you. That's something that Trask has done a pretty good job at, uh, you know, taking advantage of. But still, I mean, this is a f- – basically, like, LSU's defense is not as good as Auburn's. 
and they don't have guys they don't, like they don't have Derek Brown, but still, Florida basically had two big plays, and that was the entire offense on Saturday against Auburn. So if if the LSU defense doesn't have a really good game, I, I think I'll be pretty disappointed. I'm not saying that they have to you know pitch a shutout or hold them you know like seven or ten or anything, but I do expect them to play really well. I mean, because that's actually one of the things I kind of have taken from Florida is they're not very consistent, but they have a tendency to make big plays. They get a ton of turnovers, which are, you know, we can talk about turnover luck until we're blue in the face, but they force them. You know, they happen, but they also give away a lot of turnovers. It's just they're that kind of team where it's nothing about them is predictable. You know, they kind of plot around and then – you know, they make a massive sack. Or the offense is going nowhere, and then all of a sudden there's a 50-yard rush play. Does that uh, – I'll turn this to Seth. Does that concern you, or is it just you're kind of like, yeah, well, it's it's whatever. You know, if we can shut them down consistently, I'm confident how it's going to go. Well, I think that with our offense this year, if we can shut them down consistently, then those those – you know, like last week, there was the big 88-yard run by P. Ryan. Like, that won't kill us because we'll have enough points on the board unlike last year. But I think that is, I think what you guys are saying is is a, is important because, you know, the LSU had, you know, gone through a little uh, spell of missing tackles and all that stuff. This is the type of game where LSU is going to know what Florida's doing. You know, he doesn't have... Uh, Mullen doesn't have this incredible quarterback. Trask is fine, I guess. So, and he's not a runner, so you can't really add too much kind of nice schemey things with him as a runner, like he could do with Fitzgerald. So, and he's played him for three years now, so he knows what he's up to. You know, he likes to go trips, he has to put the tight end on the backside, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. So at this stage, it's like, well, if we just tackle them, we should be okay. You know, if we play physical, it sounds cliche, I know. But if we just play physical at the line of scrimmage, tackle them in the open field, I think that the offense will do enough that they won't be able to consistently drive against us and we should be okay. Famous last words, right? Yeah. Are you worried about their pass rush? Because that is the one thing that really they hang their hat on. You know, I think I said this a a couple weeks ago that I, I felt like LSU's pass pro has been pretty good. So I think it, it'll be an interesting battle. Obviously, the, you know, look, the guy's going to make plays. The the, the kid, the transfer, uh, Greener, he's going to make plays. We can't stop that. And it's going to be a, a time where, well, look, it's been a while since, you know, maybe the whole season since we're going to play against a pass rush like that. So it's not going to be as perfect as it was against pretty much every team so far in the schedule. But I think there's still talent. And I think the quarterback position is so talented right now at LSU that I think we can negate even, you know, some good pass rush by the other team. Because, like, the big talk you see on Twitter when people are trash-talking is that, yeah, LSU's put up big numbers, but they haven't played a good defense. Yeah. Do you think there's any truth to that? I mean, other than the fact that LSU really hasn't played a good defense, but the actual core truth behind it that LSU's a mirage, and now they're, you know, the rubber hits the road, they're going to play a real defense, they're going to be exposed, not as a terrible offense, but not as one that can put up 50 points a game. It's not, it's to me, it's, it's not that it's not who you play, but like, I think Bill Connolly stretches this a lot. And I think Kirk Herbstreit said, it, you know, to me, it's more important just how you play, you know, cause look, you're not going to play 
an awesome team every week. Even the best college football teams generally play four really great teams a year. And then maybe they play like two other good ones. And so then half of your schedule basically is you're playing bad teams. <laughs> so to me, it's like if you're putting up 50 points every game and you're throwing for 370 something yards at 11 yards per attempt, you're a great offense. You just are. You know, and like in today's college football, for the most part, great offenses win. You know, like that. There's, it's not. Yeah. It's like it's it's not that you like great defenses can't make a play like Clemson's did in the national championship game to a degree, but for the most part, the team that has like it's the great the great offenses are the deciders. It's do you have the dudes who make the plays? And LSU's got plenty of dudes who make plays. They've got it at the most important position, which is quarterback. And then they've got it on the outside, which normally they have three wide receivers to do it. Right now they have two. And so and that's the thing. It's like just like you could just watch it. And it's like, I, I, yes, maybe they haven't played great defense, but you just watch Jamar Chase and tell that there's really only like four or five dudes in the entire country who probably could guard that guy. And maybe one of them plays for LSU. Yeah. <laughs> I, like and just like Justin Jefferson, maybe he isn't the athlete Jamar Chase is, but he just flat out makes catches and scores touchdowns. So it's going to be challenging. Like it's like, do I, I don't expect LSU to score 50. Probably not. Like, I think that's, you know, it, it'll take a perfect game for that. And that probably isn't going to happen necessarily, but you know, is like Florida's pass rush against Auburn was good, but it wasn't sound. They had two sacks and yeah, they had two sacks, yeah. but also Auburn has an elite offensive line. They do. And uh, I mean, let, let's be fair, but I do think there is something to that. Florida got ten sacks against Miami in the, in the season opener, and I think they have, they had nine sacks against FCS teams. So yes, they're among the lead leaguer, league leaders in sacks. I think they have thirty seven on the season, but nineteen of them we've just accounted for ten in that opener and nine against FCS. How much do we care about those? Well, I like I said, actually, I think twenty six is their number. The greeter kid can play. But yeah. I agree, like, that Miami offensive line, two things. A, the Miami offensive line was... It's atrocious. <laughs> they, atrocious lost Virginia, and they lost to Virginia the Tech. And, yeah, oh, and oh. the quarterback was sitting around there the whole time, too. So it's like, you know, they, they just kind of walked into uh, five sacks against Miami. Yeah, I mean, against Kentucky, they had one sack. And, wow, that's, yeah. And again, they had three tackles for loss. They were pretty... They were they were really good against Tennessee, but you know, against Kentucky and against Auburn, you know, they've been, I, I just, to me, it, I don't think it's last year's Florida offensive line or pardon me, not offensive line, defensive line where, you know, you've got just, I mean, we're, they did, they won the game against LSU. Florida won against LSU last year because they just completely bullied them, you know, yeah, but I, I think they had like five or six sacks in that game. It was, yeah, but like polite was just, uh, monster for them. Zaniga's um, back. He's you know, Yeah, Zaniga's back, but he's been banged up. So, like, that's been, you know, I don't know. He's missed the last three games. Who knows if he's going to play against LSU this week. If he does, he'll probably be limited to some degree. Voshan Joseph isn't there, which, you know, he could get out for the quarterback from the linebacker position. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very good defensive line. I don't think it's the best defensive line LSU's going to play this year. They will make their plays, as as Seth said. You know, like they've got good players, so like 
LSU's going to take maybe you know one or two sacks, but LSU's offensive line for the most part has played really, really well this year, and so I just think and and, man, and they get the ball out really fast. You know, it's it's not like LSU has Joe Burrow waiting around in the pocket a lot. Yeah, so I I, I think that's actually one of the biggest things is that this LSU offense previously. When you blitzed LSU, they would bring in more blockers, and it reduced the options for the quarterback, and it kind of made him a sitting duck. And the reaction now is to put more receivers in the field and just get the ball out quickly because there's a confidence in Joe Burrow to attack into the blitz. And that's kind of the NFL theory, and you can only do that if you have an NFL quarterback. Most college quarterbacks will make the wrong choice. They just don't like to be pressured. That's kind of the Nick Saban theory of defense. I think Florida's blitz and rushing the quarterback plays in the LSU's biggest strength on offense. Because I think Joe Burrow will carve you up. You know what Florida's going to do. I mean, it's it's Todd Grantham. You know the blitz is coming. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, it's, it's not predictable necessarily. Like, you know they're going to bring the blitz, and it's you're bringing the blitz on a – incredibly accurate quarterback with two NFL wide receivers on the outside. So as you know, it's like if you bring the pressure and you leave man coverage one-on-one with Jamar Chase and he beats his man, well, see ya. There you go. That's yeah. I I like our odds with Joe Burrow getting blitzed is kind of what I'm saying. And before I previous editions of LSU's offense, I was not because I didn't like how LSU ran its offense against a blitz. And LSU now attacks that blitz. But do you think they'll commit to it? Seth? Do, do I think Florida will commit to blitzing them? Or do, do I you think, think LSU, LSU will commit, yeah, will to, commit to Yeah, not bringing guys back and sticking with the plan of the offense of attacking them? Yeah, I, I can't imagine that all of a sudden things will change that drastically. Like we were talking about at the beginning, the, they definitely wanted to run the ball to get out of the Utah State game, but I think that will go back to what it was for the Texas game, really. And, you know, you know, I wrote about this in my article this week, but the Texas game had the most high leverage play of the season, and they threw the ball. And I, I, I see that, like, it just feels like this is what they, they showed it already, so until they until it changes, I want to believe that this is what they're going to be doing going forward. And hopefully yeah, and not just next week, but, you know, the rest of the season and, and the rest of my life. This is clearly where they find out at least this season, because Florida, Mississippi State, Auburn all get after the quarterback. Mississippi State's not very good elsewhere, but that's three teams that are committed to trying to get at your quarterback. And if in all three of those games, LSU attacks with wide receivers and passes over the top, then we'll know. Coach O's background is also like he came from USC where they ran the ball with Wendell White and Reggie Bush. And then, you know, they threw it over the top of you, you know. And so I think there's some element of him that kind of like wants that. But I think ultimately the proof has been in the pudding with them this year that, yeah, in the Texas game, when they spent the first quarter kind of playing it more a bit slow and maybe a bit more controlled or sort of passively, we saw that. Steve Antonio basically said, screw it, we're just going to go fast. And then they dropped touchdowns on him for the rest of the game. And then, you know. You they, said they, Steve Esminger, I think you meant to say Joe Brady. No, sure. we, we mean Steve no. Esminger. Come on, let's give, <laughs> let's give a little bit of credit to him. He's, 
Uh, I think it's been a good partnership. I, I think I, I think Ensmeyer wanted to open up the offense and didn't know exactly how to do it. And well, Joe Brady and they didn't have the personnel really. I mean, Brady also had the, knew the tactics but doesn't know the strategy. And so it's a good marriage for now. And I know we're all looking, hoping next year that Brady gets promoted to full OC. But I've got a big soft spot for Coach E. He has he's done us a solid. Yeah, and I think last year was very much personnel dictated. And then, yeah, and then the Vandy game was, you know, I mean, yes, it's Vandy, but still it was the, I guess, an SEC opponent. They went out and did their thing and threw the ball around and put up four touchdowns in the first quarter. So, yeah, I just think to me, based on, and I think in some ways this is Joe Burrow's offense too. Like I think this. Yes, is, I think you're this the, is, that's very much right his deal too, and he wants to throw the ball all the time. Yeah, so, I think you're very much right on that one. Uh, we haven't had a quarterback that could run an offense like this since yeah, I mean, what, it, Jamarcus. It, it, no, I, th- I think in terms of like having control over the offense, I, I don't think I think I don't know if there's been anyone like him. Like if Mettenberger was fantastic, and so was Jamarcus. They were both phenomenal quarterbacks but it didn't feel like they were i don't know it's, it's not that they're there's just something about with burrow where it feels like him and ensmaker and brady are so in sync together that he's so controlled the offense in a way that i i just and billy said this that he hasn't seen an lsu quarterback you know be in control of the offense the way joe burrow is and i guess maybe having just input into what they do i think burrow does have more input into sort of what they do and how they run the offense. Like, I think this is how he wants to run the offense, and I think they run it that way because they trust him completely to do it. Um, yeah. And so I don't, I don't think we've had that in a quarterback at LSU, as even with Jamarcus or Mettenberg, where it still felt like it was mostly what Jimbo wanted to do above all or what Ken Cameron wanted to do above all. Which I mean, not that this isn't what Ensminger already want to do, but it's, I think Burrow has more of an input probably in that, and he really wants to run this offense and throw it to his receivers, you know, forty times a game, and so that's that's what they do. Do you guys think so, that what they're doing with Burrow and allowing him that input is building the offense for Miles Brennan for next year? Since you know we know Brennan's got a cannon for an arm, and he's bulked up presumably to. Uh, add the running element, which we've we've seen him use a couple times so far. I'm sure that there's not the level of trust with Miles Brennan at this point that they have in Joe Burrow, for sure. But does it look like to you guys they're they're building it that way? Right now, they haven't yeah. let Brennan do much. I mean, I like that he's getting in the game, which is better than before. But it'd be nice to throw a couple passes. I mean, yeah, like they they really need to let him do more. Like let him throw the ball. But now we'll go to the expert. Now that we both, you know, jumped in, let's, yeah. let's have Seth. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I agree. Like they haven't really shown, they haven't like showcased Brennan that much. And like I've always said, like they give him all these runs, which I mean, that's not really his game. I think he can do it, but I think he's more of a pocket passer, just to kind of run out the clock by the time he gets in the game. I, for me, the thing with with Brennan is uh, when I see it, when I, I see him start completing balls. Then I will kind of get off his, get off his rear end, I think, because until I see it, I, he, he's nothing to me right now. 
he hasn't really shown even in the in the little bit that he's played. Even in the spring game, he was like, "Well, it was okay." You know, two years ago in the spring game, he was like, oh, "It was okay." So, I think that you know to answer to answer the original question, I think the the offense kind of works with. I mean, it's a modern offense, and I think it should work with a quarterback who can pull the trigger and make the right reads, which is what Burrow's doing. Is that Miles Brennan? I haven't seen it yet. I hope it is. But I think the offense would work uh, going forward with Brennan if he if he takes the next step. Yeah, and I'd like to just let him have... Next time Brennan comes into a game in a blowout, which is hopefully this weekend... I hope he doesn't just run the ball. I'd like to see Brennan run the offense in a blowout scenario just to see what he can do, get some live reps. And also, there is nothing more disrespectful than uh, using Florida for practice. So I really, really hope that happens. Me too. (laughs) That would be delicious. All right, we'll swing back for uh, how we think the game's going to go. But looking around the SEC schedule this week, it's another meh schedule the cbs game is alabama texas a&m uh does anyone think a&m really has that much of a snowball's chance of winning no 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 i mean you look at the games i mean like georgia's playing south carolina south carolina's kind of disappointed me this year i thought they'd be a little bit better they've lost their quarterback georgia should probably win that going away i know it's a noon start so you might get the the early the JP three Daves struggle, but I think Georgia <laughs> will put that one away. How much different is that to how Georgia plays every week? Yeah. We're going to throw it five yards, and then we're going to throw it five yards, and we're going to throw it five yards again, and then we're going to do that again, and then we're going to run it at you five times, and that's basically the entire game. I'm sorry, I just. It- and then suddenly so, they've won by 30 points. <laughs> I mean, like, they do it really freaking well. Give them credit. But it's just, it's so impossibly boring. But I, I wonder, it's funny how you know, Alabama's changed. They passed, the, they passed the ball. LSU changed. They passed the ball. Georgia's still running the ball. And yes, it, it's working. But it's almost like you're taking the ball out of your best player's hands. I know Swift <laughs> is a, a really good running back. But from Fromm could really play. And, and like, everyone you know, they waited till the end of the game. Except yeah, Georgia. Like, it's so weird. <laughs> well, and also it last is. year, their, their two best players actually were the running backs. So Hullafield and Swift together. I would take that one-two punch. But yeah, this year, Fromm, why isn't he being yeah, cut like loose? They waited until the end of the Notre Dame game to let him go. And he made some really, really nice plays. I, I think they could if they wanted to. But at the same time, like you said, like, they're running the ball every play, and then they're winning by 30. So there's no reason for them to – they don't really care. But it's also a team that two straight years has built up a lead against Alabama, gone into a shell, and then lost in the final minute. Like they tried to run out the clock on them, and it's it, – and it Yeah, you, you would think – I mean, I'll give them the second time. But, you know, the, you know, the sort of the one-time shame on me, you know, shame on you, two-time shame on me. Okay, they've now hit shame on me. They're going to a third time, and they haven't changed. You would think that would have been the wake-up call. I don't know. To me, it's just like they're basically – they're Alabama from 2011 and 2012. Yeah. Like they're, yes, exactly. They're, 
They're AJ McCarron, Walmart, Alabama. Like a, they're a, we're they're do you're doing that like, and we're coming up in like ten years since that was the thing. So like, a, it's it's a long time ago. B, I think they have better offensive players than those Alabama teams did. Besides, with like the exception of like maybe like Julio Jones, you know. Yeah. But like, they certainly have a better quarterback, and so, and I think the running back with like they had Chubb and you know they have Swift, and so like I think running backs are probably comparable. So like, I just I don't. Okay, I, I, the thing is, like, yes, you beat them by, they like they beat everyone by thirty points. And it's like, yeah, I mean, they recruit friggin' monster five stars on the offensive line, and they have really good skill position players, and their defense is great, and they play in the SEC East. So yeah, they're going to beat Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Vandy by thirty points every week. But it's like, once they get, I mean, even against Texas last year, that looked but ugly kind of running that in the Sugar Bowl where they had one touchdown or two touchdowns until the last 14 seconds of the game and had 284 yards of offense. So I just don't know. It's like, I mean, if it happens again, like if if in the SEC championship game against Alabama or hopefully LSU and try, I mean, look, they tried against LSU last year and didn't really work, you know? So I just I don't know. It's it's in the big games it doesn't work for them, and I understand I'm one of the biggest. Don't prioritize one or two games over the entire schedule as much as anyone. But that's pretty much what George's playing for at this point. That's why they fired Mark Ricks because they wanted to you know win the big games, and in the big games I I don't think you can kind of win with that kind of offensive approach. Well, especially if the other team is throwing the football. Yeah. Yeah, like if I, you want to go body blow for body blow, then all right, sure, whoever like breaks one tackle and goes sixty probably wins the game. But like you know, when the other team is throwing the ball, it's it's tough. And they and 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 that's kind of like going back to LSU. Like this is the game where throw the ball to take against Florida, throw the ball to take the lead, run the ball to salt the game away. I mean, to get it off of Georgia, look, I think the SEC expected this to be a bigger week. I mean, around the nation, this is kind of like the first real – it feels like the first big weekend. You know, we haven't really had a great weekend yet. I think that's fair to say. There's been a couple of good games here and there, but there just hasn't been like just a classic weekend. And I think the SEC was expecting, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, A&M, LSU, Florida. This was going to be their heavy hitter weekend. And except for LSU, Florida, those games have kind of lost their luster. And it's – kind of a problem around the entire country where it seems like there's a couple of really, really good teams and then everybody else. Yeah. I was thinking this, you know, I said it um, on Twitter, like this past weekend, if, if, if LSU goes like 11 and one, like I'm never going to, I'm like, I'm, there's no scenario in which I complain about an 11 and one football season. Like I will not let myself do it. But if LSU happens to go 11 and one, the year where it seems like there's going to be multiple other undefeateds around the country, and therefore, there's like no scenario where maybe they could get in to the playoff like Ohio State or Alabama did as a one-loss non-con champ. That would kind of that would kind of burn a bit because it, it feels like that. I mean, I don't think I'm not sure Clemson is a top-five team in the country to be honest with you, but their schedule is absolutely horrendous. Clemson might go through this entire season without playing a top-25 team. I mean, think about that. They could. It, it is it's possible. So 
it is possible for them to play this entire season and at the end of the year, no team on their schedule would be in the top 25 at season's end. Probably that is oh, well, it's, 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 it's they unlikely. Wade. Yeah, they play Wade, who, you know, AM was ranked at the time, but, you know, they're going to be borderline at the end of the year whether they'll be ranked. Virginia there is not on the schedule, I don't think, but Virginia they'll probably play in the ACC championship game, and Virginia will probably be ranked. So that's yeah. the one they're headed for. But Virginia is their real tough game. I mean, that's Wake. cr- Wake's their tough regular season game. Or Wake. Wake. At home. I'm, not even not even away. Well, I, mean, I mean, with all due respect to Wake, there isn't really a difference. But. I mean, they're playing Florida State this week, and it's – And Louisville. Yeah. I mean, oh, Louisville's terrible. Louisville. Louisville's awesome. DC, who lost to Kansas. Yeah, like, it's I mean, their next. Their next four games are Florida State, Louisville, BC, and Wooford. God, oh, boy. Wooford might be the toughest game there. No, no, they're not. Um, it's, a, it's a horrendous. Just and then NC State, who also doesn't look good. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a horrendous schedule. But it, the other top teams, Ohio State looks awesome. Great. Ohio State looks like the best team in the country. They look great. Now, Ohio State does play Wisconsin, and they do play Penn State. So Yeah, they um, play a man's schedule. It's a late schedule. Like, it's developing late in the year, which, they, I mean, they probably would rather have it spread out a bit. But, like, and also, get, go ahead. they did show some vulnerability last week. I, I still think Ohio State's the best team in the country by how they've played so far. But Sparty slowed them down. Like, Sparty was going blow for blow and kind of was shooting themselves in the foot. And I don't think Michigan State's very good, Michigan, very good, particularly on offense. But that defense really held Ohio State in check until late, and the dam just kind of broke. I think a team like Wisconsin can give them fits. Um, I think Michigan is going to be a real problem for Ohio State because Michigan has a better defense than Michigan State, and as bad as Shea Patterson is, Michigan's offense is better than Michigan State's offense. So Michigan's better than Sparty in every which way. And Sparty gave Ohio State some fits. So, I mean, they didn't fit they still won by 24 points. Yeah, I know. They still won by 24 points. <laughs> they covered the number. I had it at 20 and a half, so I'm still pretty happy about that. But uh, They put up 600 – no, never mind. That was, I was wrong. But they put up 529 yards. Oh, yeah, they killed them. Uh, but uh, it, it wasn't quite as easy as you thought it was. Like, no, I like, watched yeah. the game and you – know, Yeah, like the first quarter, really, Michigan State came out and punched him in the mouth a bit. And, and Sparty committed two turnovers in their first four plays. Yeah, Michigan State's offense is eye violence, just pure. <laughs> yeah, so they, but I'm still sure that Michigan doesn't have a worse offense than Michigan State. Yeah, I'm they're, not they're bad. I, no, I, 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 I obviously I agree, but like they, I just wanted to make a point that Michigan is also bad. Oklahoma looks. I mean. I'm, They'll probably drop a game because it's and maybe yeah. this weekend. And, the, and also, the, the I'll give like Ohio State has to work because the Big Ten's legitimately good. Like, there's a lot of really good teams. There's a lot of top end teams. Ohio State, if they go undefeated, they've earned it. Oklahoma, the Big Twelve isn't as good as the Big Ten, but there's a lot it's of weird. salty teams. It's just weird. It's just, yeah. Like, they'll probably they might lose a game just because some dumb thing happens, like as seems to happen to the Big Twelve. Like, like yeah. Lubbock is a weird place, like just crazy things happen. But like Texas, they play this weekend. I, you know, Texas gave us fits. Uh, and they're not going to just run roughshod over Texas. Yeah. If they do, wow. Baylor is undefeated right now. K-State looks really good. That's a, kind of a surprise. 
and I have to go to Manhattan for that one. Always a place where weird things happen. I, I mean, Oklahoma, and also Oklahoma didn't exactly put away Kansas until well, until about the second quarter. But like Kansas played Oklahoma tough for a half, and Kansas is the thing is their defense looks good now, and yes. giving Lincoln Riley giving Lincoln Riley a good defense is not should probably be against the law. Basically, was coaching with a hand tied behind his back because he had like just truly terrible defenses. Like, as I was saying to LSU fans when they were freaking out about, like, they were like, we're Oklahoma now. It's like, no, like, go watch Oklahoma's defense last year. Like, you yeah. didn't have anything close, yeah, it was anything close to what that was. <laughs> like, but, that like, was- the, the Big 12 is a conference that's strong pretty much top to bottom. Really, the only automatic win you had was Kansas, maybe West Virginia. West Virginia but, played Texas pretty well, actually. Yeah, what, yeah West Virginia. Fourth quarter. Yeah, they, they threatened the backdoor cover against them. But, yeah. But every team in that conference can beat you. I think Oklahoma – none of them are in Oklahoma's class. But if they have that one game kind of thing, like that Iowa State game from last year, pretty much every team in there can beat Oklahoma if they bring their A-plus game. And that's the difference between Clemson. Clemson's going to play teams where literally if they bring their A-plus game, they can't beat Clemson unless Clemson just craps the bed. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I think like, I think Oklahoma will probably drop a game. Probably, but – Still, I mean, it's like Ohio State looks like they're just – they just look good enough to run the table. Clemson's going to run it because that schedule is just an atrocity. Right. I agree. Uh, and, then, and then you figure – like, I mean, I'm not saying LSU won't win the SEC. Like, I'm not I'm like, like, I'm like giving that away. I think they absolutely do do it. But it's still like, you know, you could get an undefeated right. SEC champion. And so, like, you, it really is looking like you've got six teams this year, Clemson, Oklahoma, even as – Man, has Clemson's kind of looked. The, the, the talent on that team is still evident. Clemson, Oklahoma, LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, they just look like a class above the rest of the country. Area. I agree. The thing is, is that you can definitely see the scenario in which Ohio State loses. If you squint, you can see how Clemson loses. They have not played well. They really should have lost to North Carolina. And if Clemson loses... It's put a fork in them time. They they need a miracle because that schedule is going to be so bad. Something tells me they've like, I don't know, because the rep, like maybe they've got into, you know, reputation kind of territory. But yeah, like they should not remotely be in the conversation if they lose a game because they just have not beaten anybody. Like they just won't have beaten any good teams. But yeah, it's just, it feels like the only truly like, not top heavy conference is the Pac twelve, which Which by the way is entertaining. It's cool. Like I mean it's I terrible, love, at least it's, and it's I mean, not even bad. Open. I've I've been watching a lot of because Pac twelve is a nice wind down at the end. The Pac twelve is basically a conference without a great team. So we're talking about how we have these top heavy conferences where you have like Ohio State running on over everybody, Oklahoma. Well the Pac twelve doesn't have a team like that. Instead they basically have twelve pretty good teams. No, one or two teams like Oregon State's probably pretty bad. Uh, Utah is actually better than everybody else, but not by a lot. So I mean, every game's sure. excited. It's like anyone can win any game. There is no result in the Pac-12 of any game that can surprise me at this point. It is wonderful. I love the Pac-12 right now. It is super exciting. I just wish the games were more enjoyable because some of those games, like like Washington's, speaking of like bad offense, Washington's is, yeah, Jesus. That's really yeah. Bad. Like Jake Peterson looks like he'd be like yeah. way better, and then he looks like uh, Jake Brown. He looks like the same guy. 
Yeah, but UCLA spots everybody 21 points and then tries to come back, and that is entertaining as heck. <laughs> that, that's the one entertaining thing about the Pac-10. Because I agree with you that anyone can win any time, but the games have been really dreadful. That yeah, Cal yeah. game was bad. You know, like you're saying, the Washington games haven't been very good. Like, boy. The, the Utah games have been pretty good. You Pretty much everybody raises their game for Utah. I think USC has played some entertaining games. Um, but it's Washington State's almost always entertaining, you know, Mike Leach. I don't know. It's just the best teams are not good on offense, basically. Like Oregon yeah. has a phenomenal defense. Like, give them credit. Oregon hasn't given up more than a touchdown in four, four straight weeks. But their last two wins against Stanford and Cal were just bleh. Cal. I think, that, a, I think that's what you get. Oregon, Cal, Utah, probably three of the best. Te- Washington, probably the four best teams in the Pac-12 right there. Cal and has a wonderful defense as well. All have great defenses. And can't, can't score, and they lost their quarterback. So, so yeah. Oh, yeah. The guy, the guy they replaced him with was uh, absolutely dreadful. <laughs> but, you know, and, but it's funny because you, you talked about, like, it. I even said, like, right after, the, right after Washington lost and Oregon had just won, you know, the, the Pac-12 thing is now Washington is going to beat Oregon this week. Oh, yeah. Anything can happen any week. It's it's outstanding. And I'm going to say this as a degenerate gambler. Do not bet on any Pac-12 game. Just don't because there's no it, – it defies logic every game. It's it's wonderful. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. It's chaos theory in action. And with that, let's go to the mail. Also, just like root for the possibility, which seems eminently possible, that Kevin Sumlin might win a division title before Jimbo Fisher. Oh, that would be so funny. <laughs> Arizona is 2-0 and in the Pac-12 South right now. Dude, anything can happen. It, I'm telling you, no result will surprise me. So, yeah, go Wildcats. Bear down. Hmm. <laughs> All right, with the mailbag. First up, we have Jacob Hibbard. He wants to know, if the O-line gives Joe time, how many points do we score against Florida? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? If, if he gets time, I mean – yeah, I think we're going to I think we can if the offensive line plays great and gives him time, LSU is going to clear 40. Thing is, that is literally the biggest question of the game. Can LSU's offense give Burrow time? I think give him enough to clear uh, they'll give him enough to win the game. I'm fully confident in that. Enough to clear 40 maybe not, but if if they do, LSU it's going to there's just no scenario to me where with time, Joe Burrow and these receivers don't just dump 40 points on the team. Exactly. Like, if they have time, it's just, it's, you're not going to cover them. It's, it's just not happening. So yeah, if they, if they get time, this game is, I mean, this game's a, this game's a run, this is a blowout. It's a four touchdown, forget about it kind of deal. I don't think that happens. I think Florida gets enough pressure for different points, not enough to w- win the game the way they did last year, but probably enough to maybe hold LC to like 35 or something. Okay, Jacob had another question for us, and we touched on this earlier with the quarterback conversation, but where do you guys have Joe Burrow ranked amongst LSU quarterbacks right now? He says for him it's Jamarcus 1 and Joe is number 2. All time? Yeah, I would say so. All time, Burt Jones, number 1. I still don't think anyone's topped Burt Jones, to be perfect. I mean, I know if you look at, like, raw numbers, people have better numbers than him. Right. But once, you adjust, 
once you adjust for era, right? Exactly. I, I think it's uh, Burt Jones, maybe Jamarcus number two, Y.A. Tittle, Nelson Stokely, and Abe Michael. That's probably your top five. I'd put Joe Burrow right now, number two, number three. I, I put I right now say he's right even, neck and neck with Jamarcus, who are both kind of like one season wonders, but. Burrow's season right now is shaping up. That's going to be better than Jamarcus's. So I don't know if he'll top Burt Jones, but to do that, you know, win a national title. And I also left Warren Rabb off the list, but Warren Rabb was more of a guy who handed the ball off to Billy Cannon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Burt Jones won for sure. Jamarcus two. Um, I would say Burrow. Yeah. I mean, He'd be two or three at the moment. If he yeah. wins the if he wins the national title, I mean, look at the moment. If I mean at the moment, he is gonna go to New York for the Heisman. Like that, he's in. He's there. At the, he's in the top like three. Right. At the moment. I agree so with if, that. If he wins the Heisman and LSU, maybe if they don't, maybe if he just wins the Heisman and they like maybe get to the national title game, you'd, you're, you'd make you can make a real argument for him as number one. I agree with that. LSU has had traditionally some pretty terrible quarterbacks. Almost all of our great quarterbacks are prior to the passing game open up, opening up and the passing rules being liberalized. Like Y.A. Tittle is one of our best quarterbacks ever, and he was throwing with a football that wasn't even shaped like today's football. <laughs> and that's crazy. Uh, I'll say, like, I, you know, I can't speak about the – the older generation, but for my generation, it's definitely Jamarcus. If I if if I'm not saying, I don't know, like can we, it's tough to it's tough to not put Burrow number one if you just look at project. You know, if you if you just project forward, then it's number one and it's not even close. But if if you know if the, if if maybe things kind of drag down in SEC play and he's not as lights out. Then for me, it's probably Jamarcus. I still really like the one year, the, uh, the one and a half year, two years of Mettenberger. And then I just left watching Rohan Davy. I just love yeah. like, aesthetically. Um, he just let it rip every damn play. I, I love I, he's, oh, I Rohan love was him. fun. Rohan yeah. was really fun. He, he's definitely. He, I think he's clearly better than Rohan now. But yeah, Rohan was probably the most fun I've ever had with a quarterback. But like even like. From my youth, you know, Tommy Hodson, Burrow's better than Hodson. Hodson, I think, is kind of has an inflated rep among LSU fans, mainly because the quarterbacks that have come after him have been so bad. Yeah, if Burrow makes it to New York, I think he would be the first LSU quarterback to ever be up for a Heisman, to be a Heisman finalist. He should only be like, what, the second player since? Burrow. Charles Alexander? Charles Alexander. So wow. It was, was Cannon. Burt Jones finished fourth. Also, um, Stovall was a top five. He went and to then, in the sixties. And yeah. then, yeah, since Charles, I think it's just it's Tyron, and then and then it'd be yeah, Burt. I think that's it. I think after I think after Charles Alexander in nineteen seventy eight, I think the only uh, player LSU was sent to the downtown athletic club has been Teran Matthew. I, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Did Wendell Davis go? I know he was SEC um, Player of the Year. I don't think so. I don't think he was. I mean, this is this is. I don't know how accurate this is because I'm just going off Wikipedia. But Wikipedia says after Charles Alexander finished fifth in 1978, the voting was the next 
to receive voting was Glenn Dorsey. Okay, yeah, Dorsey. In 2007. I don't know. Was he and a finalist? Because we finished ninth. Yeah. Which right. was atrocious. But okay, we, that makes sense. Defensive tackle. And then, then it was Tyron. It was fifth. And then one that still grinds my gears. Leonard finished sixth, but did not go to New York. Which yeah, I that's... I, I blame that entirely on the LSU press office. The top two that year was Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey, and Leonard Fournette was better than both of those players. Like, I mean, the numbers, even the numbers back up that he was better than both of those guys. Just so that, hype yeah. the guy better. Like, th- that was just a failure of hype. But, yeah, LSU has not really put forth – so I don't really think we've had – and before that, I think, yeah, Burt Jones is probably our only Heisman finalist quarterback. So, yeah. If Burrow is a Heisman finalist, I, I don't see how you can't rate him number one. You kind of add the, you know, last year as a whole wasn't amazing. But, you know, he, you know the, the last five games or four games was it, if you add those to it. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it more than just a, it's more than just a one hit one year. It's, it's at least a one and a half year, you know, wonder. I agree. No, those two years give him a full resume. And also, he won a lot. Like, if you look at some of the guys who are beloved all-time, Warren Rabb, I mean, his whole reputation is that he won a ton. And that goes a long way. I mean, I know it's it's sort of like pitcher wins. Quarterback wins aren't tracked the same way. And it's kind of a goofy stat that doesn't mean anything. But at the same time, it kind of does. You do well, it just, does for, for, for the folkloric type of... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And which is important. You kind of mentally rank quarterbacks was, was the team any good? Quarterbacks get the blame for that. And yeah, if this team is at least an SEC contender and he's a Heisman finalist, I would have no problem rating Joe Burrow as the greatest quarterback in LSU history. But he has to do that first. We're not there yet. Right. Yeah. Obviously, you know, if, if he does win or if he's in the Heisman, if he wins it, you imagine he'd put together like other offensive awards with it, you know, and the only LSU hasn't had a quarterback, like win any of the other kind of quarterback awards since the Manning award was awarded. Jamarcus won that in 2006. That's been since 2004. I mean, and LSU hasn't had a lot of offensive players win. Yeah. Awards. No, like it's most, I mean, some on the line, I believe, but like, I mean, mostly LSU's, like Josh Reed won the Blitnikoff. Ben Wilkerson won the... Um, Remington. The Remington. But then after that, yeah, as I said, Jamarcus won the... We've had some um, Butkus winners. Yeah, well, that's defensive. Oh, yeah, okay, you are just saying it. Yeah, yeah so I, was saying, I was saying, yeah, defensive players also use that. Wendell Davis won SEC Player of the Year. Did he win the Blitnikoff as well? Or did the Blitnikoff even exist in 87? Well, the Blitnikoff Award was first awarded in 94. So, no, it didn't exist. I don't know what – is there a wide res- other receiver award before that? It doesn't look like No, it. no, I don't think so. I think Blitnikoff was – so, Wendell, Wendell got yeah, screwed by time. He'll, he'll have to take the cold comfort of player of the year. And then, I mean, All-Americans – also, you know, LSU offensive players aren't – like Leonard was a all Amer- a consensus all American. We've had some um, linemen. Well, yeah, know. like Ben Ben Wilkerson. Ben Wilkerson was a consensus all American. Alan Fanica was. Josh Reed was. Burt Jones. Burt Jones was as well. Charles Alexander was twice. Wendell Davis was a consensus all American. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> and then so, I think maybe Andelsec. Yeah, like, I don't know without looking. And uh, in the eighties, Andelsec might have been one. Doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't look like eh, it. That's all right. Um, 
so yeah yeah like that's the that's the kind of some of it is yeah lsu's rather bleak offensive history but even still i mean the numbers he's putting up are just phenomenal i mean they're just ludicrous so far if he keeps it up yeah he's for a great program lsu has had traditionally the worst quarterback play but on top of that lsu has not been very good at marketing its biggest stars and i mean that in the last 30 years like we're great at like piping up billy cannon because it happened in 1958. <laughs> We're great about Burt Jones, 1972. But ever since then, I mean, even Charles Alexander, like, I think if you ask the average LSU fan who's the greatest LSU running back, Alexander's name probably didn't even come up. And that's amazing to me because he was a Heisman finalist. Well, even Wendell Davis, I think he put in the same category. Yeah, Wendell Davis was a great, great player. And, yeah, he's kind of, like, fl- flushed down the memory hole. So LSU needs to – Really, you can't fix the past. You can't get Jamarcus as a Heisman finalist like he probably should have been. Mm-hmm. Should have won it for me. You you got to fix it now. Like, you got to go all in behind Joe Burrow. And I know it's not right. This is what the award – the award shouldn't go to the best media office. No, but, but it does, though. It kind of does. does. Yeah, it does. And LSU needs to – start promoting Joe Burrow. And they've done a really good job so far. This has been the one time I've really felt they have really promoted a candidate for the Heisman. So Burrow just needs to do his part. Yeah, exactly. But I I would also say that, you know, just the the team doing well is helping that as also. And just the, the circumstances, the change of the offense, has people are talking about LSU because of yes the team is is dominating but it's oh look LSU is doing something they've never done before and maybe that's part of the the you know the the, the school's PR message yeah but it's it's helped it's definitely helped by the the media picking up on it's the perfect narrative yeah it works it's not entirely true but who cares right exactly it doesn't matter but if like if if they had another running back who had the the, the, the beginning of season like Fournette did in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, sounds right. Then it's then it's like, oh, okay, well, there's just another LSU great running back, ho hum. Yeah, it's having a great season, but we don't we're not going to send all our coverage that way, you know, media coverage that way. But now with Burrow, it's like, oh my god, we've never seen this before. You know, LSU yeah. they're throwing the ball and blah blah blah. So I think that helps too. Yeah. So man, that was a really long answer as- to that. Yeah. So, last point, like just as far as like records, he's gonna pass the single season record for passing. He already has the single game record. He's gonna pass the single season for passing touchdowns, probably by the end of October, because it's twenty eight, and he needs seven more. I mean, goodness, if he hits four with this weekend, he might do it against Mississippi State in two weeks. Passing touchdowns, I think he's not gonna break Tommy Hudson, obviously. Yeah, but Hudson started for eight years. Yeah, yeah. He needs 15 to pass Jamarcus. I think he's going to get 15 more touchdowns at minimum this year. And then you're looking at, like, career passing yards. He, he's going to get to number two. It's That's yeah. the interesting thing. He can get to – if he throws for 2,200 yards more than what he already has. I, yeah, I, I looked it up and, and put it on Twitter this week. But So he's throwing for 370 a game right now, give or take. And that means he needs in the remaining, and this is not, if I don't remember if I counted or didn't count like a potential bowl or semifinal, but 
It's about 270 yards per game right now. If it's 270, Which, he's going to pass Wickersham. That's Yeah. And that's yeah, another four-year start. Actually, Wickersham was a three-year start. He's going to obliterate the single season, which is Rohan. Oh, yeah. 3,300. He's going to go over. He needs like 1,500 yards to go over that, which he'll do. And then, so he's going to finish with most likely single season passing yard record, single season touchdown record, single game touchdown, probably second. He's second in single game passing yards. I have yeah, a hard he, time seeing him passing Rohan against Alabama. No, <laughs> I don't see that happening. You never know. Though. You never know, but yeah, Rohan took 528 yards passing against Alabama. So yeah, I mean, if he's finishing second in like all these or first in all these categories, yeah, I mean that's, that's yeah, he, he's definitely he, he'll be the, he'll be number one. I think he's right now. If you look at the single game record, he owns four of the top ten right now in both touchdowns and no. yards. Yeah, so, he owns like, four of the top ten single games in passing yards. I think passing touchdowns is kind of a fluke stat. I don't count it as much because some of it's decision making. Like if you're on the four yard line, you pass instead of you th- yeah instead of run. It it's a wonky stat. I mean, it's fun. I mean, touchdowns as a team stat matter a lot, obviously, but as an individual stat, I, I don't look too much into touchdowns. But yards, yeah, four of the top ten. He's yeah, 471, 398 against me. He's got two of the top four this year. Then he had the UCF one last year. I mean, which was 470, 471 against Texas is still just ridiculous. So yeah, if he if he has another game where he has to stay into the end, he he could beat Rohan Davies' record. But it has to be a game in which LSU needs 528 yards. They're not just going to let him do that just for giggles. They should though. That'd be fun. It would. Let's do it this week against Florida. <laughs> Boy. Okay, finally, Brad Falk. I would love for the crew to do the Florida Man Challenge live on the podcast. Just type in the day and month of your birthday, followed by Florida Man, to see what Google comes up with. And Brad gave his. He says, mine was Man Chugs Beer during DUI Stop. All so, right. Uh- so while you guys are all doing that one, doing that. I went ahead, you know, as the luxury afforded to me as the producer. I did this ahead of time. And mine was Florida Man, 85, attacked by alligator at retirement community. Well, that's pretty darn Florida. <laughs> and you just can't trust alligators. Uh, I just typed it in. I got Florida Man, 88, burns raccoon over eating <laughs> mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> I also the number two one by the way was Florida man alleg- arrested after alleging shoving steaks worth fifty dollars down his pants. So I, <laughs> that's a great story, but the raccoon eating ma- mangoes, big fan. <laughs> well, my other one was Florida man arrested after offering undercover cop a hamburger in exchange for sex act. Of course, <laughs> that was me actually. That was in Florida man. I've got a Florida man serving 23 years in prison back in custody after accidental release. It says a 29-year-old convicted criminal walked out of a Florida prison last week after he was accidentally released decades early. Oh, my. Oh my God. That is, that's peak Florida right there. And the man. second one, Florida man said he stalked family to make friends, deputies say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like that one a lot. 
Uh, mine is Florida Man who told cop he may have some needles between his cheeks arrested <laughs> on drug charges. Uh, there you go. And we're playing that. <laughs> Je vais raconter